This is the Aston Martin Heritage Podcast with Gary Taylor. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Aston Martin Heritage Podcast. Hope you're well. Now, I'm here with uh, Steve Waddingham, as some of you may know, is the AML historian, and more importantly, from for our point of view, the Aston Martin Heritage Trust, Trustee. Now, uh, Steve, um, you said to me a while back, uh, there's an Aston Martin event going on. Uh, would I like to go? And I said, well, love to. Where is it? He said, we're going east. Now, I got the impression, I thought, well, Norfolk is fine with Norfolk, that'd be fine, but... I think I should have mentioned this earlier when we got off at the airport. We're actually, where are we, uh, Steve? Yeah, well, we went really, really east, and uh, we're actually in Japan. So we are sat here right now in a temple in Tokyo. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, so I'm sorry, Gary, I, I sort of probably misled you a little bit when I said we were going to go east. But, yeah, we've really gone properly east. Okay, right, well, Norfolk will be another day. So this is marvellous. I think it's the first time the Aston Martin Heritage Trust has actually gone, well, way out east. And... Um, well, Steve, why are we here? Why, why, why are Aston Martin and why is the trust here in, uh, in Japan, to- Tokyo? Well, so first of all, the event itself is called uh, the Aston Martin Arcadia event. And uh, it's part of the uh, 110-year celebration. So our region for Asia-Pacific decided it wanted to do a special event. Uh, and we're hoping that this will be the first of a series of events that might become a biannual event, so every other year. And this is the first one. Because uh, Aston Martin held their own 110 years at uh, Silverstone, didn't they, at, uh, in July, I think it was, and uh, that was on a racetrack. But they, I think here they're doing something similar, not perhaps on a racetrack, but they're, they're making a weekend event out of it, aren't they, for the 110 years? They're doing their own celebration. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the reason we're here as trustees and it's to support the event is because we've today day one is a concourse so we've got about 60 plus cars out there to judge uh and they uh the our regional team reached out to us and said could we help uh with the planning of of the of the event how to do a concourse so actually three trustees have been involved in this so tim cottingham um and yourself and obviously myself uh, being aml as well as a trustee so this is really the first time the trust has actually been able to really get behind a, a an overseas event like this and uh, add some expertise to it um and it yeah it's great the, the only problem is it's raining uh, so we've brought the weather with us unfortunately yeah it's it's, it's, well, it's well we brought the british weather because in the past few few days leading up to us it was dry and today the concourse judging day it's, it's wet but we do the forecast seems to be for the next two days over to which the events held is going to be dry so as you say the three trustees tim cottingham has helped tremendously in the background of some of these cars so we're we're here to judge these cars aren't we to make sure they are what they are yeah exactly yeah we're here with um, three other judges um that are here to uh, to judge from an elegance point of view. We're here to also add into that the originality, um, the differences between the cars, the specifications, that sort of thing. And and really the the, the team over here working with the local dealers uh, in this region have really pulled together some amazing cars from pre-war right the way up to brand new Valkyries. So and everything else in between really. It is quite amazing because it's 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 uh, it's in uh, the Asia region and they've got about 65 cars here, uh, and it's not 
all second century cars. Some of them go back to uh, the pre-war, and we actually we do have a tractor here as well, don't we? A David Brown tractor. Yeah, very importantly, you could argue there's a David Brown tractor here. Um, and, of course, David Brown, DB, as in DB5 mm. and DB9 and DB11, etc. And, and for me, it's quite good to see the tractor here because it's a reminder of how it was all possible. For 25 years, the reign of DB, if you like, was 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 you know effectively um, shored up underpinned whatever you want to call it by david brown tractor manufacturer so making tractors and creating the the profits from them was was really fueling and, and paying for, uh, for for aston martin and in that period we got all those great cars from db2 through to the the last of the dbs's really under that original stewardship of uh, of david brown so yeah to have one of those here today it's a bit of fun but it's also got quite an important place in the lineup I think it's good to be here. So I think there are about 65 cars here, and they they really seem to have picked, you know, the Aston Martin history from the pre-war, say, through the tractors, and we have some Valkyries here as well, mm-hmm. uh, Valkyrie and, yeah. and a Valkyrie Pro. So we are covering the whole spectrum of, of Aston Martin. We have managed to judge some of them. We've put our, our hat on. We've put our ties on. We're looking very dashing and smart. Uh, we judged some of them, but we've had to dive in from the rain. Um do you think there's any early contenders that's, that's caught your eye? Well, not necessarily a concourse winner, but you think that's an interesting car. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of cars that have caught my eye, really. I mean, we're hoping to get the covers off at some point today and have a proper look at the cars um, fully uncovered. But, um, yeah, things that stood out to me, there's a Vulcan. I mean, that's always an amazing that's sight, always, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a beautiful... Um, well, there's a couple of beautiful DB5s here, but there's also a very interesting db4 series 4 vantage which the untrained eye looks like a five that's a great looking car i'm looking forward to seeing that again later the car i'm dying to get the cover off is the 1940 um two liter um c-type uh, car which is a, a very unusual car that's so rare you know i think i've maybe seen them over 30 years once or twice so to see a car like that again it's gonna be good fun um, but also, of course, we're um, we're in the home turf of the Signet, so the Signet, you know, is less. And from, how, how many have we seen today? Well, the, there's three cars outside on display uh, being judged. Uh, all, the, I mean, the, the trouble is, all the cars on display are all superb in terms of condition. You know, it, it, I said to someone earlier, if you, if it had to really start knocking points off. I'd be looking inside the car and, and spotting things that shouldn't be in there in order to find something wrong because the condition of them, they're all pretty much pristine and perfect, as are most cars on, on the road in Japan anyway. So, yeah, so the free signets are, are out there. They look really cool in amongst all their bigger brothers. Um, but there's some fabulous cars. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a DBS Ultimate 770 out there, which that is did look smart, really nice, green with... Um, uh, I think it's got a gold coach line on it, and it may not sound very nice on, on a podcast, but it just looks exquisite and looks a, a, almost, dare I say, a very expensive-looking car because, of course, it would be. But um, but it looks even more than than the, probably the price of the car. It's it's a real fabulous colour scheme. One one that caught my eye it was it doesn't sound too spectacular. It was the DB9 GT. You don't see many of those. I know the trust was involved in... The GTs were effectively the, the final run, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, the actual GTs themselves... Uh, sorry, you know, I mentioned the trust. The trust were involved in de- dealing with some dating letters to authenticate that these were the last well, run. That's right. So the GT itself is a rare model, but, but the car that we're talking about is what we call a one of nine. So there were nine... I think, I'm trying to think of the exact, exact uh, official um, 
title. You'll have to forgive me because of the jet lag. But I think was it, it final edition? Final edition or nine of nine? I mean, we called them different things internally at the time. But effectively, there were nine coupes and there were nine Volantes. This is one of them. This is a coupe, and it is beautiful uh, as a as a colour combination. It's um, Cumberland grey, which is the colour made famous by the Living Daylights uh, Bond car. All right. And the interior is a, a combination of um, sort of bitter chocolate, winter wheat from memory. It's like a kind of creamy colour. Um, but best of all, it's got this beautiful gloss finished uh, walnut veneer dashboard on the waterfall, the centre part of the dashboard. And uh, it does look absolutely gorgeous. So, yeah, it's really nice to see one of those here. There's also a Bond edition DB9 GT, which is another rare thing to see. And also another even probably even rarer car is the uh, current generation Vantage uh, but the car again that was done for No Time to Die as a kind of nod towards the uh, Living Daylights V8 um, so it, and again it's a Q car, it's a Cumberland grey, sort of special mesh grille yeah, the grille the grill is quite impressive I mean, uh, we're talking about some of the cars uh, the photos of these cars will appear on the website and included on social media but the grillness on this Vantage was um, well, it wasn't the sh- normal shark nose grill. It was, it's quite prominent, isn't it? Yeah, so the grill normally on a Vantage would be sort of slatted type grill or a sort of crisscross type grill. But this one has got basically the same type of mesh that was used in the 1980s car. So it, the actual pattern, if you look at it, isn't just a honeycomb. It's a quite a distinctive pattern with a bright finished um, surround as, as the V8s were in the 80s. Um, so it's got that. And it's also, for a bit of fun, it's got... The little reference to in the film uh, *Living Daylights* when when Bond shoots off with the rocket pack that comes out the back of the car. Yeah. Uh, if you remember that scene, the the, the sort of jet engine yeah. that sticks out the back, the rocket pack, whatever it is, it's got like a, a yellow and black hatched kind of uh, border to it. So on the back of this car, it's also got a little bit of that yellow and black hatching on the uh, the lower part of the splitter at the back. So a nice fun reference to the the scene in the film where the uh, the car is inspired by but yeah so fabulous to see one of those here you know we're talking cars that are rare in the uk which of course we're both in the uk then the uk is almost a bit too easy sometimes to spot astons but even so when you do you sometimes see things that are very rare but to come to the other side of the world and see them it is really fabulous and we've seen some great great cars just while we've been here uh, anyway, we went to the, the dealership yesterday, the local dealer. We went to our um, our brand centre as well, the house of Aston Martin. Um, and uh, again, we've seen quite a few cars, more than more than just the cars we're judging. It, well, the, this this area, the, the Asia side, is is a very important market for Aston Martin. And as you say, it's with the display of cars, we seem to have. We do get spoilt in the UK, as you said, with with Aston Martins. But in the, in this area we seem to have like a micro area of all the desirable aston martins crammed into one site they really have brought everything together a little bit gentleman bringing in some coffee no he's taking the coffee away so that's disappointing but never mind steve we'll, we'll sort stuff out we'll probably go for another beer like we did last night um so um okay i think what we do we're going to wrap this part up because i think the rain is easing off now and we're going to finish off the judging the pictures of the cars will be on the website and on social media. Um, so 
Steve, what you're particularly looking forward to when the rain eases and for the next few days, because this event's going over three days, isn't it? So, And it's going into your 33 years at Aston Martin as well, isn't it, this well, weekend? Yeah, exactly. It's a, for, I think for both of us, Gary, I think let's, yeah. let's not forget that it's your birthday on Sunday. Well, so. we're, 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 OK, we'll forget the age on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got, we've got a bit of a busy Sunday. Yeah? So tomorrow, uh, Saturday, will be the, uh, the sort of pr- uh, prize-giving um, section of the uh, the weekend and uh, yeah. we've got to we've got to choose a car to show haven't we we've got to do a car to show we've got two more categories to go and judge and then i think tomorrow there's also a tour through tokyo some of the cars going on a tour um including i believe uh, the idea is to have a, a truck with a db5 uh, on display in the back in like a big glass backdrop i think i heard that i mean yeah, yeah. so we have a um, go around tokyo db5 in a glass box on the back of a truck and it's going to be lit up that's going to be spectacular. I hope to get some photos. Amazing. Yeah, it should look amazing, especially in amongst the, the normal kind of Tokyo traffic. And uh, uh, and then Sunday we end up at the uh, the, the Speedway, um, which we'll, we'll talk about that later in the podcast, I guess. But, yeah, looking forward to that. And that, as you say, is uh, uh, a bit of a dual celebration for us too because it's your birthday and it will be my 33rd anniversary of joining Aston Martin uh, back in 1990. So, oh, so Steve, I, I can't believe that. I mean, it's only a few years. You still look so young. How have you been there 33 years? What was your? Well, we, we, we will cover this another podcast. What, what's your earliest memory? 33 years ago, you went into Aston Martin. What was your first job? Well, my first job was in the parts stores. I was 19 when I first joined, and uh, you know, my first memory really is that that first day. I can remember everything about it. You know, and. Uh, uh, right at the end of the day when I remember thinking you know if they send me home at the end of this at least I can say I've been here for a day <laughs> but a, a very distinguished gentleman came up to me and he said you must be the new boy said, yeah my name's Steve and he said well I'm Kingsley and uh, welcome to Aston Martin it's a job for life if you want it and uh, you know I remember saying oh thanks very much out of politeness thinking yeah okay well we'll see I never joined Aston to stay here forever you know so yeah 33 years ago I remember exactly that 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 very moment when that was said to me a job for life and little did I know that it may it may well form a big chunk of it you know so hard to believe 33 years later the uh to the year you joined Aston Martin and here you are in Tokyo Japan with with an old man next to you celebrating his birthday on the 19th so I think we may go out for a few beers on the 19th won't we? I think we'll, we'll probably have earned a few beers by the time we get to Sunday night because uh, it may all sound a bit glamorous but as you as you know as well as I do we spent 13 hours on an aeroplane yesterday oh it was hard work yesterday wasn't it I think I think, I think we must have been been up for 27 hours or something like that yeah. lost track of breakfasts and dinners and then whatever and just crashed into bed so exactly. uh, we're going back on the 20th back to uh, AMHT HQ then so yeah. I think we're going to be um, we're up early and finish late but it's great fun isn't it oh it's absolutely amazing I mean you know you cannot moan about however whatever we've had to do to get here I don't really mind about that it's just such a fabulous opportunity what a you know what a great thing to be part of uh, and for me I've always, you know, whenever I've travelled the world and seen one of our cars somewhere, you know, seeing one outside of the UK makes you feel really proud because it's a car that we've made and we've sent it all that way overseas to somewhere. I remember saying it because you and I were at the, um, the Tokyo Aston Martin dealer and uh, we saw a couple of DBXs there, including a 707, and you felt, actually, this was made in the UK and now yeah. it's halfway across the world. You, yeah. you felt a connection with that, didn't you? Totally. I'm really, you know, very proud to be associated 
with the ladies and gentlemen that build these cars. I mean, you know, it really makes you feel quite humble. You know, it's we have a saying at work: nobody builds an Aston Martin on their own. So when I look at an Aston Martin, I see a, I almost see in my mind a, a lot of faces looking back at me, the people that make these things. Um, and I think that's what a lot of owners connect with, and they get to know us as a factory and us as a company. And it's not just a car, it's about the people, you know, and the people who make them, the people who drive them and own them. And, the, and of course, the people who sell them, service them in the dealer network as well, all over the world. So, yeah, to come to come over to another part of the world, into a, one of our homes, effectively, just absolutely fabulous. Yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to the rest of it. So am I. So we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, hopefully the showers or the rainstorm has gone, and we will return to the podcast in part two, another point. See you soon. You're listening to the Aston Martin Heritage Podcast. Discover more about the story of Aston Martin, the cars, the people, the history, with the Aston Martin Heritage Trust. You're always welcome to visit us at our museum in Oxfordshire. So find out more via amht.org.uk. Hello, listener. Welcome back. Um, now, it's going to be uh, noisy. Uh, we've, got, we've got audio visuals going on, which you'll probably see on our website, so do bear with us. Now, it has stopped raining, and I think it's now permanently stopped raining, which is great uh, for the weekend. So we've rustled ourselves back to the Concourse era, and we've come to uh, a rather beautiful pre-war class, haven't we, Steve? Yeah, Gary, we're stood right in the middle of the Concourse, and at the moment we're behind like a roped-off area for the three pre-war cars. So, you know, let's... Just think about this for a minute. Anywhere in the world to see three Aston Martins from pre-1940 is quite a big deal. You know, there, there just aren't that many around. So to be on the other side of the world with them is really extra special. We we mustn't forget that because, as you say, it's quite, you know, when we go to Silverstone, Donnard and Goodwood, we do tend to see these. But these, we've seen pre-war cars on the other side of the world. And that's quite amazing. They haven't been shipped over here. They, they belong they here. here. Yeah, exactly. They live here and it's... Uh, and the, the funny thing is, of course, they're familiar cars. They're cars, even though they're, they're pre-war cars, they're cars that, that we see back home in other, in other chassis numbers. But these three actually are really good because we've got um, what we call a first series car. So, it's, so the, for the benefit of the listener, Aston Martin uh, originally was Bamford and Martin Limited, and it made about 61 cars up to 1926. And then it was reformed as Aston Martin Motors when the company was bought by... Uh, um, Rennick and, and Batelli. So we get what we call the Batelli era cars, looked after by Curie Batelli, of course. That's where the name comes from. And this maroon car we stood next to is a, a very early international. Um, and the thing that has caught my eye is because it, it just looks like LM4. LM4 is a, a car I know very well back home. LM4 is a, a team car. And LM4 is designed to sell these. You know, the, oh, okay. so this car is the production version. It's a little bit wider. It's got doors on it. But other it's, than it's that, very simplistic. The cars. It's, there's, there's no frivolity uh, on this sort of car, is there? No, that's right. I mean, they were they were they were they were a simple shape because the cars were simple anyway. You know, but but actually, don't forget, this was a very expensive car when it was new. Yes. You know, this would have been back home six hundred plus pounds to, to buy. You know, bearing in mind you could buy a an Austin or an MG for a hundred. £200 maybe brand new so these were expensive one and a half litre engine um, 
But yeah, it's a very, very special car. And the technology was changing rapidly every couple of years with Aston. So these first series cars have got a different type of braking system to the one that's next to it, which is a Le Mans. Yeah, so that was the, the so this is LM4, so that was nineteen thirty. But that's not LM4, it looks oh, like it looks like LM4, <laughs> sorry, yeah, yes. It looks like LM4, but it isn't. That's an international. That's the international, that's the blue 1930. Car behind us is now, a Le Mans. Nineteen thirty three. Yeah, and this is what we call a second series car. So these cars are different because they've got a, uh, a different type of braking system on the front. So the brakes have significantly moved on. Um, and you've got that lo- lo- wonderful kind of more pointed radiator. You see it's got more like a V to it. Also should point out that the Inter, or the International and the Le Mans, they've both got the V-shaped Aston Martin wing badge. So it's slightly different shape to what we're familiar with now. Yes, yes. But in 1932... Um, SCH Davis helped us introduce a new badge, the badge that we've still got today, the uh, the famous Beetle Wings inspired badge that we've got. But these cars were still being made with the old type of badge. So okay. if, you, if we'd wandered onto a motor show stand to see this car here, the the motor show stand would have had the new type of wing, but the cars for sale on the stand had the old type of wing. So it's a little bit of a, a crossover, like we've had recently with a new badge being introduced. Really. So anyway, that that car represents second series. And then last but not least, the green car over here, the very dark bottle green. Uh, this is a really rare car. It's one of really? only three cars that survive out of the five built originally. So you say only three out of the five are surviving, and here it is in Tokyo. Yeah, exactly. Well, Should we, we just move over to let's it? Let's go and have a look, yeah. So, so that you know, we feel that... Um, we like to give actually some kind of awards to all three cars here because compared to the, the other uh, vehicles here, which is pretty much production, maybe limited edition, but, but these are so... <laughs> yeah, and it's in different class. But I, I I don't know how you feel, but that one is, is it's good candy for best of show, the whole thing. And it debuting here in this event and it, and it restored so well. Uh, the first debut actually in Japan in this event, it means a lot. You know, that, that design by itself just, it's a different class. And, and in these two, and we felt that, uh, the, you know, we both felt that one represents good elegance and the other two seater and that. But restoration level wise, this one is exceptional. This is, this is the Le Mans 1933 you're referring to. So that, we felt that the, we, both cars actually deserve uh, some kind of award. So it's up to you and us to decide which one is which show. But the, at least this one, minimum of uh, you know best uh, uh, restoration or some yeah, kind of show that I think this one. We can give three of them specific name of the three award. Exception. At the best of show, best restoration, most elegant. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Just, just to let you know, we, we, we got, we've got all the judges here, and we've got awesome responsibilities here trying to make a, a decision, and we keep changing our mind. No, I think we are pretty convincing ourselves as the cars we, we like, but these these uh, pre-war cars have, have resonated with everyone. I think you're, you're liking the pre-war cars, aren't you? Yeah, it's all... <coughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, we should explain as well that we are very much outclassed as judges here, Gary. I, I think we, we are. are amateurs. These these guys really know what they're doing. Uh, Pebble Beach judges. So there's us, the other side of the world, trying to pick a, a car, and we're, we're amongst. Do you think? Uh, do you think we're going royalty? I would, I would call these. I don't think they've rumbled us yet, though, have they? No, they haven't rumbled us yet. We're going over. So we we do bow to their expertise. I mean, yeah, it's, it's marvelous. Some uh, for Aston Martin brand, for some reasons, we don't have so many actually pre-war Aston Martins in Japan. There are some more actually not 
not you know the the bring prisoner here, but the, some people are actually kind of hesitating whether they should come to this uh, this event or not. Hopefully, this event's going to be annual or biannual, whatever. But I think uh, so that the people know in Japan that there is a solid history of Aston Martin in a before way before the war, and and uh, these three represent. You know, limited production and some production, and in, in, you know all the elegance of the Aston Martin, and started here. So I think it's yeah. well. I think you're right. I think that even in the UK, some seem to think that Aston Martin starts at DB5. Right. They seem to forget <laughs> yeah. that it goes back to you know the way it goes back further, doesn't it? No, no, really. I mean, that's that's what people should know. So, do, do you, you hinted something here. It says you, this is the first. Is this the first Aston Martin event that's been held in in Japan and in Asia? Maybe only Aston Martin is first time. In Japan, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. So, as far as we know, as far as we know, this is a fast. And you, you are feeling this could be an annual event or every two years? Well, if this uh, is successful, yeah, I think you'll have a good chance that, yeah. I think we got these to make it a biannual event and move it around the, the region so it goes to other. Do you know something, Steve? I'm sent to an Aston Martin Heritage Festival in, in oh, Asia. I'm just oh, loving no, this, yeah. Biannual <laughs> could be a more realistic proposal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. biannual, why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. AMHT uh, will give up the Motor Museum, will come to uh, Tokyo in 2025. <laughs> <laughs> 26. Yeah. Right. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. Yeah. Now, Steve and I are just going to talk about the, um, the screen car. Thanks very much. Right, so back onto this one then, Gary. This is a, uh, uh, what we call a C-type. It's a speed model, two-litre speed model, but a C-type. Uh, and uh, there's A, B and C types of the two-litre speed. But the reason why this one is so important is because it's very aerodynamic. It's a first sort of stab, if you like, of a production is, car yeah. with aero. Um, 1940, obviously, after World War II had started, um, production had really sort of ceased at the end of 38. Uh, the company was already making aircraft parts at that point, but people were still ordering cars and they were being made and finished off. And this is one of those very last handful that was sold in 1940. Um, so, you know, straight into a, effectively into a war torn country, you know. And was it, it, it looks very racy. I mean, was this a, 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 a road production car? Yeah, it's a production car, but very much aimed at someone who was going to buy it and race it. You know, it very functional. It's not the prettiest car in the world, let's be honest. Uh, it's very rudimentary aer- aerodynamics. But for me, this is a an important car because it links the the pre-war 1930s sort of cycle-type wing shape to what came afterwards, which was the DB1 and the Atom in between. They're sort of more streamlined. This is the car industry realising that in order to go faster you needed to make cars smoother and of course what was about to happen after this car was built was another five years of, of conflict where if you think about aircraft you go into World War Two with biplanes you know and early monoplanes like Spitfire and Hurricane but you come out the other side five years later you've got jets you know you've got big things breaking the sound barrier almost yeah. so this car is, is part of that aer- aerodynamic uh, process really of, of developing those learning from what they were finding out as they went along. It's certainly one of, one of my favourite cars here. I mean, it is absolutely gorgeous. I think it, uh, we are looking towards trying to... Our responsibility of our five judges here is trying to find a car to show. And I think we've got, you know, another 24 hours to the side or whatever, but I think this could be... Certainly could be in the running. Because that's, for me, certainly... Hello. That's all right. Steve has just gone off. I'll just waffle on for a bit. Is that... Um, uh, the C-type was was the is the bridge between the 
the square pre-war cars and then the more curvaceous DB1. So uh, I think the C-Type is, is an important car. And it's just amazing. Here we are, our side of the world, in Tokyo, one of the most important Aston Martins ever made. Right, I'm just going to switch off now, and we'll catch you again later. Welcome, welcome back. Uh, now, we're just uh, doing a, a view of the Newport Pagnall uh, cars, and we have come across a rather special V8 Vantage uh, Zigato. Steve, do you want to tell us about what, what you've found? Well, I'm a bit excited again, Gary. This is a, a car that's a prototype Zigato, but the reason I'm so excited is re very recently we were very kindly donated um, two or three photographs by a, a former employee who took the photos at the time of this car when it was being shown to the workforce. So, you know, that itself was quite an interesting find. But to then be stood next to the actual car in the photo on the other side of the world a couple of months later is uh, quite remarkable. Well, it is quite remarkable. And, and there's been a prototype as well. I mean, it's in lovely, lovely condition, isn't it? Well, and also we've been... Not sure about the... Were there badges on the fog lights? Would they be? No, I'll no. tell you why, because there's a Ford badge underneath there. So that's why they've been stuck on. To hide uh, listener, the there, there, are, there are fog lights on the front of the uh, Zagato, and I think subtly uh, Aston Martin wings have been stuck over the well, the Ford well, badges. You have to remember, you know, this is back in the Ford owned era. In fact, actually before the Ford era, actually. So quite strangely, and it nowadays we take seeing front fog lamps on a car as being quite normal, but in the in, even in the mid 80s, it was fairly unusual to have integrated uh, fog lamps. So these are from a Ford Sierra gear. Uh, that's where they, that's where they come from. But I think this is, this actually predates the Ford relationship. So just by chance, really. But anyway, forget about the, the fog lights. For, for, for what I particularly like it was that the cars being photographed. It's certainly drawing a lot of attention. Yeah, it's looking, we're, we're, it's looking with cameras. We are surprised by camera, and it is looking rather gorgeous under the spotlights, which the other we have. Thing I think to say about this car is that I've been told that the man. Uh, who owns the car has had the car since we sold it new I so think is, is that gentleman there is it's it? a one owner car uh, which is pretty amazing he, he, he's very enthusiastic about it I must say he's got, he's got the, the brochures and uh, some photographic history of the car and I'm rather pleased to say he's got uh, well he's got some badges he's got an Aston Martin Owners Club badge uh, the centenary of Aston Martin we've got Aston Martin Club Racing is a is a lovely car are you, are you the owner of this car? Yes. Yes, you are. Okay. Si, oui. Ah, qui donne? You're the owner, okay. How, how long have you had it? どのぐらい持ってるんですか。えっとね、だから40年、30年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40年、40年。40
Jay Laverick. And uh, what is the brand new Aston? Well, we've got two brand new Aston Martins in front of us. What, yeah. what are they? What are these? So this is the uh, Jay Laverick Aston Martin Dot One R. It's the new bicycle that we released on the 31st of October. Um, and it's a collaboration between Jay Laverick and Aston Martin. And yeah, we started again, really, on the took the brakes off the development on this one. And um, yeah, here we are. Here we are. Which is, I think this is it's. Um, must be a debut in Japan, isn't it? I mean, it was launched in the UK fairly recently. So, yeah. can we? Can you talk me around one of the bikes here? Yeah. So, I mean, they're looking very simplistic. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're quite elegant, I'd say. Yeah. And obviously, the, the the styling team at Aston Martin don't need any introduction, really, do they? Did they, Did they have a major input on the styling on this? Who Who approached who? Um, that's a really good question. The story is quite organic, I'd, I'd say. So, uh, Marek Reichman is, is a, one of our customers, effectively. He, he has um, he, he has a Jack, which is our kind of uh, all-road model, and he has a, um, a vintage-inspired kind of Leroyka spec uh, bike as well. So, when we delivered uh, the bike to Marek, he said to us, you know, well, we should do bikes, and, and uh, we really, really, you know, gave that some serious thought and i think they did a bike back in the 80s it was the, it was called their first two-wheel off-road vehicle it was a bike i can't remember you probably won't remember it i do i do we're perhaps going in the archive and find out their first off-road yeah. uh, bike and it was yeah but anyway carry on sorry yeah no it's um they, they've yeah there's in, in more recent history as well there have been some um models some bike models released by aston and uh yeah with with this one we we said you know if we're going to do this we really need to do this properly in it it can't be um, something that we already offer. So it's one of those kind of one plus one equals three okay. kind of relationships. This isn't anything that we currently offer, but with the, you know, with the kind of backing and, and guidance with, from Aston, we've been able to really innovate here. So perhaps if I start at the front of the bike. Say, yeah, yeah. So the, the lugs, uh, effectively, it's a, it's a lug construction. The lugs are joined by carbon fibre. So the lugs are 3D printed titanium. Um, that allows us to make kind of one-offs. They're completely bespoke. Everything starts with a bike bit, Gaiden, um, and a spec session. Then we have the data to kind of parametrically adjust these lugs per customer and print them one-off. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then we join them together with this beautiful carbon fibre. Um, there's a lovely herringbone seam down the centre of the tube. So obviously that's that's kind of borrowed. The, 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 the carbon fibre, the, the, I will be taking photographs and these will be on the website and social media. The carbon fibre is, is really adding to the beauty of these bikes, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And actually, uh, as a brand, we do use carbon fibre, but only in the fork. So adding carbon fibre into the rest of the frame is, is new for us. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's allowed us to kind of uh, fine-tune the performance of the frame, make it a little bit lighter than, than what, we, uh, what we do with our titanium frames. Okay. Um, but at the, so the cockpit of the bike is visually boltless. Um, that's what I meant. Oh, I think when I said earlier, I said they're looking very simple. I mean, that's the. I think as well, it sounded simplistic, but I mean, yeah, there's, there, there are no bolts that I can really see. It, it is, yeah. <laughs> you said elegant, I said simple, but uh, that's the reason. Yeah, and you know, we have to use bolts somewhere, but even those bolts, uh, they, you know, they're bespoke to the bike and they've got some very fine kind of laser engraving detail and so if we have to use a bolt it, it's going to be the best and it's going to be the most beautiful bolt but best bolt in the world best bolt in the world yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah so the the handlebar stem is boltless cableless very very elegant um 
and it's because it's 3D printed we can make it completely kind of bespoke to the customer so the handlebar width is you know adjustable to a fraction of a millimetre which is completely unique um, the brake calipers are integrated into the frame and the fork as well so no hoses no brake hydraulic brake hoses on show Just oh yes that's another that's another area of simplicity that's uh, yeah. overlooked me yeah yeah so are these two bikes the same they're the same yep they're, they're the only difference really is the the paint scheme right um and if you if you visit our website actually there's a configurator it's exactly the same platform as the car configurator it's just we've swapped a car out for a bike you can tailor this thing to your heart's content um so there's there's actually we haven't worked out how many variations there are on the configurator millions probably but. okay yeah sure who who's your uh, target audience who's going to be buying these do you think Yes, it's a really good question. We, we've kind of inadvertently created a new kind of category of bicycle. We're calling it the, it the it's a true hyper bicycle. The the, the the engineers, designers, and some of the manufacturers, in fact, also make Valkyrie, the Formula One cars. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's I'd say it's a, it's a collector, it's a collector's piece. They're, they're serial numbered. We're, we're capable of making roughly a hundred units, so they're, they're very exclusive. And ultimately, it's a bike to be ridden. Yes. And it is engineered. You could do whatever you want on this thing. It's it's very capable. But at the same time, because it kind of it's starting to kind of bridge over to art a little bit. I was going to say it could be. An, you see this in some some Aston Martin collectors. They buy. They buy the car for the art rather than, yes, they are there to be driven, but they buy yeah. it for the art and they keep them in the house. Yeah. I've known some are sort of bolted on a wall. So yeah. pro- uh, probably the same thing could happen to one of these bikes. Yes. Yeah. So um, there's, yeah, there's a, talking to a chap uh, just lately, he's he's looking to add one to his collection. Uh, effectively, he's got a museum in, in his in his house and, and that that's that's absolutely fine by us because it's, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, but perhaps it's take it off the wall every uh, once a year on a nice sunny day and enjoy. enjoy so, where can we find more more information on these bikes? And how, when are they available? Are they available now? Available now? Yes, we started taking reservations for the build slots. Um, yeah, so the first deliveries are going to be in roughly five months. Um, for full information, you can go to our website. So, we have a dedicated website for this bike. It's um, AstonMartin.jlaverack.co.uk. Um, there's um, that's where you, you would reach us. Yeah. Are you having a good show? Oh, it's it's incredible. It's so nice to be here. Like really honoured to have been invited. Um, the most unbelievable setting for a car show, isn't it? It, it is. It, it is quite amazing, and it's a uh, it's the like that you you brought your your beautiful bikes here to to show off to the uh, to the Japanese audience. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Hello, welcome back again everybody. Uh, we've just finished the uh, second day, it's half past two now at the uh, concourse and we're on our way in a, in a rather rather nice, I uh, wouldn't say minicab, I think it's more than that, more of a, more of a limo if you like, on the way to uh, Fuji Speedway. Anyway, enough of that, so that would explain the noise in the background, but I'll give you further noise from Steve Waddenham who's going to uh, summarise our, our day, aren't, aren't you Steve? Yeah, thanks Gary. Yeah, so day two... Um was basically the prize giving uh, from the concourse that we judged yesterday and we had eight categories 
uh, to judge, and we had also uh, overall um, car of the show award and also a, um, an award for uh, the best restoration. So those were the, the ten, effectively ten categories we had to come up with uh, winners for. Um, and the thing that blew us away yesterday was just a high standard of the cars. We, you know, I think we were completely taken aback by the type of cars that have been pulled together but also the the condition of every one of them every single car is just you know really well presented and this afternoon as the cars drove out and drove off into the streets of tokyo the car every single one of them was just absolutely perfectly uh tuned and and you know Did running it, really smoothly oh yeah i mean yeah, so the car that won the pre-war category, um, uh, absolutely like a sewing machine, a 1930 uh, international model, um, what we call an international two-seater, so really pretty car, very, very rare, um, and that just drove off out into the streets of Tokyo, uh, followed by... You know, car, other older cars that were there. There was a DB4 Vantage, a DB2, uh, Mark III, yeah, DB6, DB5, and then right the way up to brand new models, um, things like DBS 770 Ultimate. Um, there were a couple of V12 Vantages as well, the new type. So a real mixture of, of different types of cars. And, um, yeah, it's just been so impressive really that you know the the level of cars and and also the level of enthusiasm from the owners and from the visitors to the uh, the event itself i think what we t- uh, particularly uh, enjoy i i enjoyed steve and it i think it took us a bit by both by surprise because we chose the uh, the class winners and the overall winner yesterday and they were they were being presented day awards and i think about two or three minutes beforehand as when they were announcing everyone's on the um, on the speakers on the microphone it says right steve right gary you're going out presenting so that was a that was a a moment wasn't it Un- unprepared but i think that went quite well yeah i mean it you know these sort of events it's the first time we've ever done this before and um it's always going to be an element of uh, of, of trial and error uh but yeah it went went really well um it was really nice to be able to hand uh, the awards over to the people that uh, that we picked the, the, the cars for. Um, I think it was quite nice that you did a speech at the end to sort of thank, uh, yeah. thank everyone. So there were five judges, and and all all five of us got a, you know a chance to to say what we thought about the event and uh, what we'd enjoyed about it. So that was really good. And the other two judges, I should say, were um, uh, very seasoned uh, veterans for concours. They're both Pebble Beach judges. And, uh, and, and actual, um, you know, well-known personalities in the car industry. So, uh, so that's day two, uh, being wrapped up and tomorrow will be, well, I think it's the final day, um, Sunday the 19th, uh, which is, we're going to be a major event, which is going to be Steve Waddenham's 33 years at Aston Martin. Uh, and to celebrate that today, I've opened up the Fuji Speedway. So, uh, S- Steve will uh, be a, uh, be a statue, uh, unveiled f- for him. And of course, I've made this all up. Anyway. See you tomorrow at the racetrack. Here I am at the Fuji racetrack, and if you want to know what a Valkyrie sounds like when it's driven in anger, here it is. We 
have a very special guest here uh, on the podcast. Uh, I'm with Gregory Adam, who is the regional president of Aston Martin in Asia and I believe has been the driving force behind this Aston Martin Acadia event. Uh, welcome to the podcast, sir, Greg. Ah, thank you very much, Gary. How are you? I'm very well. I've had a splendid few days, and I think the weather's been absolutely uh, spectacular. We had a very damp Thursday, but let's not dwell on that. So, is this the first time it's uh, this Acadia thing? Why Acadia, as a matter of fact? Well, about a year ago or so, when I joined Austin, I knew that we had some objectives. One of them actually was to raise the profile of, or connect the profile of the past to the future for Austin Martin in Asia and particularly Japan. Japan is a, an important market. It's the biggest market within the Asia-Pacific region. We have so many great cars and passionate fans, but let's say it's been left on its own for a while. Um, so trying to reconnect that and to put something out in front of everybody. That's where it started. I must admit, the the range of cars, the, the, the breadth of appeal surprised me uh, from being at the Aston Martin Heritage Trust. I didn't have any preconceptions when the first time I've been to Japan and I was aware of the this region being very important but the 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 range of cars from the pre-war up to Valkyrie was, was quite impressive. I mean, is this something you've experienced? So I've been in Japan collectively 22 years but over a longer span from when I was in grad school and uh, I've always loved cars and always wanted to work internationally. And when I came to Japan originally in 1989, it was the uh, what they still call the bubble period in Japan. And so there were a lot of cars and a lot being made here domestically that are really interesting, as you know, the JDM cars. But also a lot of special cars, supercars as they call them, uh, were being brought in and collected by people because they had the money, they wanted the investment, they loved the cars. Not, not necessarily in that order. So we saw... Lots of cars here and different cars and different colors and different spec. A little bit more extravagant. I wouldn't call them over the top or without taste, but they would not just get basic cars. And in Japan, a car, especially one of this expense and of this variety, becomes a lot more of each of the individual owner's personality. What I mean is they take it and they attach it and they wear it like a badge of honor. Either they love Britain, they love Austin Martin, they, in a homi- hom- homogeneous society, people are looking to establish that niche. There's just a, a real deep interest in something, whether it's butterflies or cars, that's what I mean. So, I knew all the cars were here, and I had worked with other brands, supercar brands in, in, in uh, Japan and, and done things. Like I said, it was, it was a bit of sleep just because there was no one connecting the dots. So your question was, where did Arcadia come about? Well, I think we needed an event, but I think we needed our own event, an event that was something we could own, we could name, and we could do what we wanted, meaning keep it in Asia Pacific, keep it in Japan, take it abroad, whatever it is. But people would remember it and start to use that and then... Of course, when you search for it online or something, it would come up, you know, Aston Martin Day or Aston Martin Track Event. It's a little bit normal. Um, But I think what this does is grabs the attention of the owner and the fan, and we build it up. Arcadia itself comes from looking for kind of this this place, this, this utopia, this 
kind of the the best of the best where everything comes together like heaven like valhalla like arcadia which is basically a, a greek word for this utopia so this is where it came from we looked around for things of course i was looking for something with a v but again uh, you know once i once you use that that's one less name you can use for a car right <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah can can you um I'm interested in, in the car culture in in Japan. It's, as you, you hinted towards it earlier, it's very much of a of an individual nature, isn't it? Can you just expand on that? It seems to be some, the car culture over here seems to be, in my brief experience of the three days here, it does seem to be somewhat different from what I've seen in, in America and certainly in the UK and U- Europe even. So, like I said, when I came. In 1989, basically through 95, it was the bubble period, but the economy flipped the other way. Uh, And also the interest in cars started to change a bit. Um, While lots of money and everything was spent on cars, with the economy not moving well, there's a lot of deflation for many years in Japan. The rise of the cell phone and then the smartphone meant that younger people... You know, they had a you know a car is also communication pieces to get together with friends. Now they had ways, personal ways to do that. Interesting cars just dropped like a rock. The Motor Show, the Tokyo Motor Show, which was fanatical back in the day, disappeared by 2000. And, uh, it was the Lehman shock of 2009. It was essentially gone. And and uh, but what also happened was, as it left and as some great cars left Japan cars that were collected by people over the bu- bubble period. There was also a, a semi-resurgence that was happening deeper underground as cars left, but there was other cars coming in from younger people either who like like the, the cars now or from some of the middle-aged guys who are now getting a bit older and wanted that same feeling like some of their alumni friends had. So the car culture... If you think of it that way, it was big, then it's come down, and now it's coming back again with a vengeance. The, the population of Japan is decreasing rapidly. The car population, every year, the, the number of cars manufactured and sold is going down as a whole. But the foreign car market has doubled in the past 10 years. And within that, the supercar market, the ultra-luxury market, which is what Aston Martin is in, is even growing faster. So what it means is people who want cars want something special, they want something different, and they want something exclusive. So now we're going back to that, hey, the car means something to me. One other thing. The Japanese, as you can imagine, they don't have lots of space as no, you know. No. So when you buy a car, it's not, you know, yes, in this is in this end of the market, two or three or four or 30 cars is not super unusual, but in general we have a lot of owners that this is could be their only car. So they they want something special. They spec it special. They like I said, it, they wear it on their badge or they you know, they're they're real, real Brit fanatics. I've noticed over here, I'm intrigued about how the DBX is, is selling over here, and I can see how well it's selling, because uh, Tim Cottenham from at the Trust, uh, who de- deals with the register of cars, and he noticed the most popular car sold in Japan so far uh, was the DB11, uh, with 874 examples, and the DBX is close at, uh, with num- at number two at 719. What I have noticed, uh, Greg, is that the, the SUV doesn't seem to be particularly popular in, in Japan, whereas the people carry is, but the DBX is clearly a, an, an SUV. How, it's obviously been very well received. So, 
Japan, unlike other markets in the ultra luxury segment, um, has a number of cars, and it's let's say sedans are going down, and the SUV market actually is growing. The ultra luxury segment as well. It's only four other competitors. Okay,、um, you can imagine who they are.、Uh, the DBX and the strength of the dealers and some of these events that we're doing has allowed us. The market is up 16 percent. Super luxury in the past year, DBX is up 69 percent. Okay, there's few other competitors. We're focusing on DBX because that'll bring in new people, and we'll, we're finding that they have a DBX and then they want Advantage or something like that, and it's really working well. And the DBX is a fabulous car. It doesn't because it doesn't share a chassis with other vehicles or other brands or anything like that. It really stands out when people drive it. Plus, it's as you in, in Japan we have a lot of、um, very square SUVs at the higher end of the market. This is an elegant shape. It, it is sports car like, and and we've done a lot to make it relevant to those ultra luxury buyers. So now we have 27 percent market share in that ultra luxury range, which is number one for the top six markets in the world for Aston Martin. So it's it is it is growing. I mean, in terms of SUVs, and、um, you know, we we luckily have such a great car. Now, at this particular moment on on the Sunday when we are recording this, I think we have an, a, a, a finale parade run, and I think we have、uh, numerous customers and perhaps some from the Aston Martin Owners Club from Japan、uh, cars. I'm not seeing a particular theme in in colours or in spec.、Um, Still remains very much an individual car, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, even if you go back to some of the the classic cars, I mean, there are people who've gotten them restored and on purpose.、Uh, one of our great owners here in Japan wanted a DB5 that he could drive every day. So when he got it done and redone in the UK, that was the that was the objective. And he drives the thing like he would drive a Toyota Corolla, which is great. So that and he. He has an interesting spec because the only thing he asked for was he didn't want to scratch the car by putting the keys in the door. So he asked for an automatic door opener to be put on his key fob. Imagine that a DB5 with that. So that's that's one thing. But you see, you know, uh, uh, not unusual, but tastefully different color combinations、um, from a lot of our owners in Japan, which frankly is great to see. The、uh, the concours that was a. Uh, a unique event, and the, can you explain something about the venue? I understand it was a it's a very special venue. Can you just expand on that, please? So, in doing this event and having the objective of wanting to make、uh, a statement and connect the dots,、um, like I said, I've worked for other supercar brands in in Japan, and and some of them, in fact, I established here, and they started in the same way, and and they've grown to great heights. And one of the things you need to do is set the bar, set the bar, and connect the dots. The dots means all of the owners all over Japan and, and elsewhere, all of the dealers around, and bring back that sense of pride and you know why we're here. We have people that are completely focused on their DB5, but we have Valkyrie now, we have Vulcan now, we have the Valor that's out. So we need to put it all together and link James Bond and Valkyrie and Valor and Rapide and everything else, DBX. And when they see that all together, it becomes natural. And then the power of the owners is concentrated. So we had that. Then the second place is the second thing we wanted to do is find a, a location that has never been used by anyone else. I mean, we have to establish that Aston Martin is not just on par with some of these other brands that have been growing for the past. We're better, and we are. I mean, 
to have a one-make Concours three-day event on track and everything, there's few brands that can do that with the variety. So, th- so knowing that, we searched. And I tell you, there was a couple, three uh, places we looked at, and we went to the end, and we did not get the permission from the government, which is really hard in Japan. That's why an exclusive new place can be harder than anywhere else in the world. However, we found that the uh, Kin Ryuzan Sensoji Temple in Tokyo, which is the oldest temp- temple in Tokyo, was uh, built in around 624, 628, if I remember, so more than 1,400 years of history, essentially, around that. Um, they never had a car event or allowed a car event, but Aston Martin, we approached them. We have a very good reputation. We're, you know, the England and Japan share so much in common being island nations, having an imperial family or a royal family, uh, having many traditions that are the same in craftsmanship and, and build and things like that, shipbuilding, whatever. So it was understood and received, and they allowed us to do it. So to the Japanese owner and fan... They recognize this as, wow, that's something ultra special. The pride of having those cars with a backdrop of pagodas and temples and things that are extremely Japanese and people coming from all over Japan and all over the world every day to visit, it all linked up and made a super special location. It was a very special location because uh, when... When uh, Steve and I turned up, we, we could not believe how busy it was as a, as a as an attraction. I understand it's like this pretty much all the time. So it's it's quite an achievement to have a dedicated area just purely for for Aston Martin. I think. So yes, the way a temple works in Japan, uh, you go there obviously for things like births, deaths, wedding. But there's also things you go to th- go throughout your life for, like when your children are three, five, and seven years old, you bring them for very special days. You go there for requesting something from the gods for help on an exam or something. And this happens consistently on a daily basis. And because of the the history and the beauty of those te- that temple in Japan, the, people come from all over Japan to see it. But it has established itself also from people coming from overseas as well. If you go there, you'll see the massive grass flip-flops, or lack of a better word, that are on the two pillars of the gate entering so that that's for the gods to walk in and out and not tread on things. You know, it's just those little things really appeal, and that's the specialness of that location. So how many cars? I think we had about 65 cars. I think we had 65 cars split into a number of classes and a very wide range of number of classes from uh, pre-war up to, well, the, the hypercar class, wasn't it? I think it was, and it was quite unique to see, I think we had the pre-war cars next to the, next to the Valkyrie, the hypercar. I mean, that, that's, uh, that was quite a contradiction. Yes, but it really worked because then you could see in, in an instant that what is Aston Martin? I mean, everyone knows certain vehicles, DB5, whatever. And we did a nice DB2 through DB12 display, plus the DB tractor and the DBX, right? I thought the tractor was a great fun uh, because... Um we not forget. I mean, if it wasn't for the tractors, maybe it wouldn't be an Aston Martin. I'm not sure through through David Brown. And I wonder because at the very end of the event, uh, they went off for a drive through through Tokyo to 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 here. Was it? Did they come to Fuji? And the tractor f- went. And I wonder what the crowd thought of the tractor. 
why is there a tractor leaving? Well, I, you know, it's 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 interesting. Tractors and similar equipment have been a part of a lot of supercar brands' histories over the years, as you may or may not know. I mean, it's 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 more than you think. It is. And when you find one and people put it on display, it just it brings a smile to people's faces. It's like Signet, you know. It's it just brings that. Oh, that's so cute. I want one. I didn't know about that. And in in, in our case, like you said, I mean, having that interesting history, diverse history, and then having it next to hypercars. Plus, the other thing on the other side of the pre-war cars is we had, as you remember, the the Valor and the Valhalla mock-up. And you can see the future, the DBR22. So, wow, it was linked. And it wasn't so far away that you didn't really get it. It was literally right in front of you. And now what, what, I, what we've done is connected those dots. Staying with that event, are you, are you, were you pleased with it? There was a, is there any cars that, um, that escaped you that you didn't get hold of? I, th- I think you've pretty much ticked all the boxes, to be fair. As the first Arcadia event, you have to establish it. And it was a lot of us calling people on the phone, hearing about a certain car or two, and then seeing if we could get the owners to bring them out. In the end, I mean, as much as we can design a nice event on a piece of paper, it's the owners and their cars. So like you said, we got about 65 great cars from owners, plus about five that we brought in, special like DB5, Goldfinger Edition, Valor, etc. Um, there's a couple of cars that we missed, and I won't mention because we'll keep them for, for the, in two years' time. But what I did, what we did was we, we were able to bring together so much different variety and, and things like that that it worked well as the first one. It established things. And uh, I think they'll be coming out of the woodworks in, in droves next time. Now, I think for most people, uh, most, uh, should we say, uh, event organizers would have thought, well, that would have been enough. That was a two-day event. But no, you um, you bolted on uh, an event at the here at the Fuji Speedway. Can you tell us uh, something about that? Well, first of all, um, a proper concours in Japan, and I mean proper with... Judges that people know. We were lucky enough to have two very famous Japanese car designers who are globally well known. Uh, Ken Okuyama, who was previously at Ferrari and Pininfarina, and we had Shiro Nakamura, who was the designer under Carlos Ghosn for many years, was a revitalized Nissan. On top of that, we had Shiro Horie, who was the current Octane Japan magazine editor, and we had yourself and Steve. And what that did was bring authenticity. In Japan, there unfortunately has not been a, a really, uh, how do I say, broad and deep concourse ever, which is strange. But to, we did it, and we did it with your help, and we did it with one make. So now that's established. And, and we gave awards in all the categories, like you said. And one thing we were able to get, one cool car was... Uh, uh, in the earlier this year, I, I was approached by a gentleman who brought me this book, and he showed me this this lovely car that was built by Austin for the 1940 Le Mans. And it's gorgeous. It has two t- fuel tanks that hold about 120 liters of fuel, and it, it's dark British racing green, and it just it's different looking. And and the guy asked if he could put it in our brand center sometime or what. I said, no, 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 hold on. We have a really special event coming up in the fall. Let's use that as the Japan debut. He bought it in 2018, basically kept it hidden for so many years. It actually had won a special prize at Pebble Beach in 2004, and we showed it, and it won Best of Show. And that's why 
this was a success. Stuff that was never seen before was now seen. So then when we go into the second day, many of those cars left the temple after the concours and they went on the parade. And on the parade, they all got together and went through Tokyo. And then many of those owners came, as you said, to mm. Fuji Speedway, where on Saturday night, the second day, we had, as you know, this lovely uh, gala dinner for, uh, let's call it an exclusive set of owners, a very small set of owners, where we was black tie, and we had a charity event, we had a charity auction, we raised a lot of money, let's say, for charity, uh, without going into the details. I was I was impressed by the by the, by the figures. Um, I was, I was thinking, my goodness, there's a, that's a lot of yen. I think I think I was trying to convert it back into sterling, but even the, even those figures were quite impressive. I think pretty much, uh, I think the, I think the auction was a very good success, wasn't it? Yes, and that's another thing. I mean, there are many Japanese, obviously, who do these things, but it's still at a smaller level compared to other places in the world. So to have a success like that and have active and lively participation. I mean, our guests enjoyed themselves, which to me in the end is the most important thing. Also, being able to raise money for good causes. You know, everyone has a heart, and I think it was shown. And then those same people showed up today for this lovely track day. So three days, three different events. This is, again, something that, frankly, we knew we could do, and we know that it hasn't been done in Japan. So... Here we are in 2023. I've heard over the weekend, and you've uh, you've said it uh, a few moments ago. Uh, in two years' time, clearly this is going to happen again. This is going to be every two years, or we're just going to do one in two years and see how that goes. Listen, the way these things work from experiences, every year it it becomes a little bit monotonous, and people don't get as excited as if it's every couple of years. Every two years gives you enough change in the market, new cars coming in and out, classics, whatever, plus we introduce new cars and they're, let's say they arrive in time so we have enough, think about it, the next time we do it in 2025 we'll have Valhalla, we'll have Valor, we'll have some other new cars that are coming along, so that'll be fun and, and this being the second time, like I said, it's established, people know what to expect, we really expect a big turnout, cars, fans and everything else, uh, where we do it will be our next step. We could continue to do it in Japan. We can continue to do it near Tokyo. But I think there's room to look at some other places. I think you're going to have to perhaps uh, look, look for some more room. I don't know because the impression I've got here is that it was so professional and it had so much integrity. I think people that maybe uh, outside that are thought maybe a bit suspicious of it as they were we're not quite sure and they're going to look at this and they're going to listen to this podcast and they're going to see the videos and online and your own promotions and they think hey that's that's actually a serious event I'm going to do that in two years time I think you've set yourself a, a very high bar there listen I must say it would be more than an honor if all of the people who are listening to the podcast, particularly in the UK and other nations, consider how can I be there in two years' time? How can I get my super interesting car? Or just come over to see what's going on. That, in the end, is the most fun when we can integrate owners and fans from all over the world and maybe a few of their cars. I, I definitely know for a fact there's there's two people they, they were here this weekend and they, they saw on the social media between myself and Steve that we were coming over and they think, right, well, we're having some of that and they did come over, they came over 
well, I think it was on the Thursday night, and they've flown back today, and they said they will be back here in two years' time with their own cars. I'm so happy. We had a few from Singapore, Malaysia, Bangkok, Australia as well want to do the same thing. Listen, they uh, they got it in terms of how we communicated and came up and saw for real. And the most important thing is they had a great time, I, I believe. And then we'll go back and tell their friends and, and uh, fellow owners and fellow fans, and we'll see a lot more of everybody. I think you better start working on the next event now. We know how long these things take. And the, the AMHT will be delighted to help in any way we can. I really must thank you and your team for making us uh, very welcome. It's been, a, it's been a delight, and thank you for including us. Well, I would also like to thank all of you because, like I said, I mean, an idea on paper only works for so long. You need to have people who are supporting it, bring knowledge, bring ideas, even bring different opinions, and then work with all of the owners and in the end, it's the cars we gather and the enthusiasm we create with those owners. So thank you. Greg, thank you very much. Hello, everyone. It's uh, Gary again. Uh, on the final day, we're, it's on a Sunday, and we're slowly, and I do mean slowly, cruising back towards the airport, uh, ready for our flight tomorrow. So while we're here and in a traffic jam, I have Mr. Waddenham next to me, and I think this seems appropriate to, um, well, to sum up our, our three days, don't you think, uh, Steve? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. We're, uh, we're not going anywhere for a couple of hours. Um, so we are literally... Uh, we're going through tunnels at the moment, aren't we? We're kind of passing. We've got Mount Fuji behind us, and we're in a real heavy three-lane traffic jam of trucks, motorbikes, cars, all sorts of things, all heading towards Tokyo. Um, but yeah, we've been at um, we've been at uh, the Fuji Speedway since about eight o'clock this morning. I think that's it, yeah. And uh, when we got there this morning, it was like, wow, this is pretty amazing. Uh, we walked through the pits. And onto well into the pit lane effectively of the track, and then we crossed onto the actual track grid, onto the starting grid, where quite a few cars were were, were already on display, ranging from um, we basically had uh, the, a couple of pre-war cars there. Well, I think it's, it was some of the cars that they, they drove yeah. yesterday from the uh, concourse. Yeah, they made their way. So we had the. Um, the International, yeah, 1930 International, I think it is, all the way up to the Valkyrie Pro. Yeah, yeah, so the cars literally drove from Tokyo. Uh, well, it's a good couple of hours drive, isn't it? Yeah, you know, so, um, and uh, yeah, just felt, you know, so a lot of the cars that were on display at the con- concourse were there, and um, and then we also had on this on the actual um, starting grid was a uh, one of the replica Formula One cars, uh, the Valhalla. Uh, full-size uh, kind of model and um, the Valor was there as well wasn't it it was, it was incredible really you got you sort of some of the oldest cars amongst some I of the forget, current ones I think the, um, a forgotten supercar is, is the Vulcan that keeps appearing doesn't it yep yep so the so Vulcan and then this afternoon the Vulcan and there were two Valkyries a, a, a road car and a pro Valkyrie pro and they were going around just the three cars on their own because of the speed difference uh, that they're capable of and ever so often you'd get like this sort of wham and it was basically one of the Valkyries cone bars like a low flying missile basically so fast you could barely you could barely see it coming it was it was that quick that, that, that was incredible I, I, I 
I heard something and I glanced and it was just like a, a black streak. I wouldn't even... It was just yeah. lightning. Yeah. But you heard it. My word. Didn't you? That's going to be amazing at Le Mans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the, the noise outside was incredible. Um, and then uh, a couple of times today they've... Uh, had like sort of controlled sort of laps where the cars have gone out in batches and then basically formed up to, to have a big loop of kind of cars parading around the track. Again, all different types really, ranging from um, some of the early cars right the way through to brand new ones. And it just looked really amazing, didn't it? The, the, all very colourful, lots of different coloured vehicles, um, you know, and against the sort of backdrop of a of a race circuit with a the sort of sponsorship colours everywhere and it was just a really colourful display wasn't it really it, it was Steve I think colourful is 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 the thing because uh, as you may have heard uh, earlier in the podcast when I uh, had a had a chat with uh, with Greg Adam um, the car culture in in, in Japan is, is amazing and each of these cars we saw the DBXs the, the DB5s and the DB11s and what have you they they were beautifully presented in some lovely colors and again again this uh, Fuji uh, track against the backdrop of the mountain I think was it was in a beautiful sunny autumn day as well I was rather fortunate um, it was it was a beautiful sight, and I was I even got a, a better f- view of the mountain. Uh, uh, I think it was a impending doom. I went out on a um, DBX hot lap, a DBX 707, and um, I think I had a madman driving the car. And uh, well, it, it, just on a different lead, the car's amazing, but you got to be amazing to do what it can do. And uh, in the windscreen ahead, in one of the corners, I saw the uh, Fuji mountain, and I think it was heading rapidly towards this and uh, it was quite staggering that db6 uh db6 dbx 707 um uh steve is an amazing car and it seems to be very popular in japan doesn't it yeah i mean um the dbx is dbx and db11 in in japan they're 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 both um the most popular master martins of all time that have been shipped here and I think the numbers are roughly in the sort of 800, so 700 to 800 sort of range. I think it was, uh, I think it was just over 800 for the DB11 and the the, the, the DBX is 770. Yeah, yeah well, 770, yeah, not far off. So, yeah, those are the two most popular cars here. But there's also a lot of DBSs here, and we've seen DB9s, and yeah, we've seen the DB7 Zagato, haven't we? Yeah. I think the the, the big one of the big differences in Japan with vehicles is that when they get when they get to a certain age they become quite expensive to, to keep them roadworthy to Japanese standards and I, I don't mean roadworthy as we would know roadworthy back in the UK or Europe but um, so so yeah so you tend to see that cars sort of middle aged cars drop out a little bit and then they, they mm. survive and come out as a classic but, but that's why we only saw one DB7 I think yeah, exactly. Yeah, Valente, uh, yeah. But just sat here in the traffic, looking at all the vehicles around us. The one thing you notice is there isn't a single dirty vehicle on yeah. the road. Everything's clean, sparkling. Um, the, the, a lot of the trucks have got like almost like a chrome, you know, chrome bumper type um, application. They're very kind of showy, aren't they? They look like a, almost like a showman's truck. I'm just trying to think what's my overriding impression if I had to sum up 
the the event for the past three days. It was it was delightful that the Aston Martin Heritage Trust were invited for their first event um, here, the Acadia, and uh, hoping to do a one in, in 2025. So see, if we get invited to that. Uh, I'm just trying to think. For me, uh, Steve, I'll ask you in a moment. For me, I think the overriding impression was I was impressed by the sheer variety and uh, and breadth of cars at the Aston Martins here. I suspected when I come over, when they said they were going to hold the event, it was going to be DB9E and that sort of thing. But no, we, we had road-going, pre-war cars. We had the Newport Pagnell V8s, if you like. There, there were Yes, there were Gaydens. There, there was a sheer breadth of cars which i think if if this was actually that this event was actually held in the uk it wouldn't put itself to shame it would it just covered everything what what do you think steve yeah absolutely i think um that the sheer variety of cars even amongst the same model they're all different colors different combinations of interior colors and, and options and things so real colorful you know display of cars is, is, is what we've been looking at but also, um, historically speaking, some of the cars as well, really interesting cars, like the Le Mans, the 1933 Le Mans, uh, the pale blue car, if you're looking at the photos, which has got a, a unique body on it. It was a car ordered from new, and the owner specified to have the fuel tank incorporated <laughs> in the in the, boot, in the sort of boot area of the car, rather than the separate slab tank that they normally had. And, uh, and the bonnet was different as well. So, so it's just very subtly different to a, to a standard Le Mans of 1933. But there's only one, and it's here. And if we didn't come here, we wouldn't have seen it ever. I've, I think I've seen a photo. Well, I've seen photographs of it before, but to see it in the flesh. Well, I think he was also excited by the uh, the overall uh, the win of the show from the judges' point of view, which was the um, type uh, the C. Oh, what's it, Steve? What's it called? C type. Yeah, C type special. Two liter speed C type. That's the one. And because the only made five three exist still exist yeah. and one of them is here yeah exactly that exactly that um you know and there was a beautiful uh, red v8 vantage zagato which um uh the thing that i loved about that car and it's the reason why we chose it as the winner of the heritage v8 class was because it's an ex-prototype so you know as a prototype would have had a fairly hard life and then it's been obviously sold uh, when it was, you know, disposed of to the man who still owns it today. So he's been the only owner of that car since the, the sort of late 80s. Um, and the car is superb condition. You'd never know it was a prototype. And, um, yes, yeah, for me, that was that was such a winner because of the story of it. And meticulously looked after. And also he'd got all the paperwork and he'd... He'd even got his little Zagato pin badge on his on his jacket yesterday. So much pride in the car. But that class was so difficult to judge because there was another man who'd got a Vantage V550 and also a Virage from 91 uh, Coupe. And, um, and he owned both cars. And they both looked incredible on the outside. Uh, the 550 was a real good concourse car um, under the bonnet as well. And um, again, he's got all the, you know, all the information with them and the paperwork and stuff, really well presented. And it was a really tough decision, wasn't it, trying to choose between those three cars, really? Yet alone the other cars that were equally good in the class as well. So, I want to give, I want to give a, a special shout out, and I think it was you, you and I, uh, 
spotted it. I found it, and then you came round to my way of thinking, if I can say, is that, yes, there were about five judges, and they were you know, looking at the other cars, and the other judges were seasoned Pebble Beach uh, judges. But, uh, Steve, we saw a, well, sounds dismissive, a plain early v8 vantage it was like a yeah, cream color and there was there was no bling there was no decoration it was an early generation it might have been a four three or certainly a very early four seven yeah. and the wheels were standard it was just uh, uh, i say i don't wish to be dismissive a plain sort of creamy vantage and i liked it because it just rep- the the guy clearly had a tremendous pride of ownership of that and he had some of the documentation and some other bits and pieces in in the windscreen all right it wasn't a you know valkyrie or a zigato and it didn't have any bling factors array and some of the extreme styling it was just a pure uh early v8 vantage and i think it, it appealed to us and i think from a from a personal point of view, if there was a, a pride of ownership award, mm. if that was available, I think we would have oh, we, we would have gone that route. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it had you know like models in the window and the brochure and all the rest of it. You've know, gone to so much effort to kind of present the car, yeah. and you know, like you say pride of ownership, definitely. Um, but yeah, so it's been amazing. It's been amazing three days. Uh, you know, we've crammed a lot in. We, we <laughs> you know, I think you and I have been pulled from pillar to post. Lots of friends back in the UK and around the world asking for chassis numbers but we didn't get time i mean we barely got the time to take the photos um the reason dear, dear listener that we didn't get the chassis numbers is because uh most of the time the cars were behind uh, like a kind of a, a rope to protect them from uh, people getting too close and uh it's not very good form to go hopping over ropes and lifting bonnets up when everyone's trying to look at them and take pictures so so yeah unfortunately we didn't get a chance to write the chassis numbers down but I'm sure we can work out what was what um, but yeah amazing and we've also <laughs> we've also been on a couple of fairly lengthy dinners each evening yeah, tonight yes, have, yeah. is the only night that we've got to ourselves I believe um, and uh, yeah it's uh, I don't even know I dread to think how many hours we've done in the last few days it feels like a, a very long week crammed into three days but we can't really complain because we've had a great time but the other thing as well gary let's not forget that today's a bit special for kind of both of us in one way or another so it's your birthday well first of all it's nine years ago today i met my wife sarah so you know that's a a very special uh uh, anniversary in itself Uh, but also from an aston martin point of view it's my 33rd anniversary of joining the company so i joined um, Aston Martin in 1990, 19th of November 1990. So today is 33 years later. Uh, what a way to, what a way to spend a work anniversary, um, surrounded in a, with amazing cars and waking up this morning to a big panoramic view of a racetrack with the sun, uh, coming up over the mountains. It's pretty amazing, really. So yeah, couldn't, couldn't have been a better day, really, I think, Gary. I, I totally agree. And I'll tell you something, Steve. You say it's your 33 years. We could have continued this podcast talking about your 33 years of Aston Martin, but I don't think there's enough recording capacity in this microphone, and we'll probably fill up the Internet. But it is my duty and my mission to get you trapped, and we're going to talk about your history at Aston Martin one day. Uh, so 
I think that will do us for now. We're still bimbling away on the way to the airport, looking forward to a cup of tea and perhaps a KFC or something like that or McDonald's. See how we go. So it's uh, goodbye for me, Gary Taylor, and yeah, it's goodbye for me, Steve Waddingham. See you soon, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. You're listening to the Aston Martin Heritage Podcast. Discover more about the story of Aston Martin, the cars, the people, the history with the Aston Martin Heritage Trust. You're always welcome to visit us at our museum in Oxfordshire. So find out more via amht.org.uk.